Well, good morning. I'd like to invite you to open your copy of the Word of God to Ruth 119 or device or tablet or wherever your Bible is found. And we're, we're going to be picking up in Ruth and we series that we're in sovereignty in silence. So what do you do when God is just kind of silent in your life? We're, we're, we're in this study, and this is one of the few books where God actually does not speak. Naomi is, and Ruth, they're going through just a crazy, turbulent time in their life, and how do they know that God is still loving them? How do they, that, how do they know that, that he's still walking with them? And that's what we're uh, seeking to discover through our of Ruth. So let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and then we're going to jump right in. God, you are beautiful. God, thank you that you are a God who hears us and a God who is near. The psalmist talks about how you collect our tears in your bottle. None of our tears go to waste. None of our prayers are forgotten. Our prayers sit in a bowl as incense unto you. God, our prayer now is that you would, you would speak to our hearts and you would illuminate us to the text, that your Holy Spirit would, would show us, because I know if maybe we're not going through a dark time right now, maybe bitterness may not be an issue for now, it is for many of us. God, I, I just pray that you would show us that you're loving and that you're there even in the silence. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we're in Ruth 119. Here, hope is on the horizon. We're in a kind of a new scene as we end chapter 1. Naomi and Ruth, they're now making their way back to Bethlehem. Naomi, um, they let, her and her husband left to go to the, to the Moab. And while in Moab, her husband and her sons both die. They take these foreign wives. They have no children. She shoes one of the wives back. She couldn't get run, one, rid of the other one. Her name's Ruth. And now they are both coming back as, as widows to Israel. They're coming and we find in our text this morning that they're coming back not at any time but during the time of the barley harvest and today we're going to be introduced to the character we've been talking a lot about his name's Boaz and we're going to find that God uses Boaz to to what kind of redeemer Jesus Christ will be Bo, Boaz is what we call a Christ type in the Old Testament and what we do is we interpret the Bible through the lens of Christ. Hebrews talks about this in, in um, the Old Testament, shadows of the things that are to come in Christ. So Boaz is, is one of these Christ figures. There's, there's things to be seen in his life. And we are going to be a people, we read the Bible through the lens of Christ. We get to read backwards because we know that Jesus Christ reigns. And this is called a, some of you will care, some of you don't. So, but here, here's, here's your uh, $5 word that's not worth a whole lot. But it's called a Christocentric view. We're, we read the Bible with a Christocentric view of Scripture, meaning that Christ is the center. The Baptist Faith and Message 63 says that Jesus Christ is the Christ by which we interpret all of the Bible. So we're going to lean in to, in this sermon to Boaz being this Christ type in the story as he we find him to be a redeemer who lavishes love and kindness on Ruth and a model of how Jesus Christ is to to lavish love and kindness on us as our redeemer so if we don't read the Bible this way many people don't by the way and when you don't read the Bible this way with a Christocentric view the best you can come up with 
you, all you can do is look at Ruth and look at Naomi and look at Boaz and say, man, I better not act like uh, Naomi. Man, I better act like Ruth so that God loves me. I better, and, and moralism is, is that do better, try harder, earn. The whole thing that we knew, we've been in the book of Galatians for like, long time. And that's what the whole book's fighting against is moralism. We're talking about grace. And we see Boaz pouring grace out on Ruth. And Ruth doesn't deserve it. So we, 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 before we start a sermon, we talk about it this way. What is true? And then what do we do with that truth? So what is true? God is working through our pain in the background even when we don't see him or acknowledge his plan or provision. Ruth isn't, she's just living life. She's struggling. Naomi's struggling. Uh, Boaz, he's an older man who's a bachelor. He's probably not happy about that. And God's weaving all these things in the background, even when they don't acknowledge God's plan or purpose, okay? And so what do I do? What do we do with this? Well, we're all people who struggle with stuff. And what we do is we are to take God at his word. And what word are we going to take him at? Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who, who love God, God works all together for their good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, that's not a promise for just everybody. That's a promise that God works all things out for the good of those who love him. So that's in suffering, in pain, in, in times of not understanding, that's what we have to claim him at his word. So let's look at our text. So let's start in, in 119, and it's not going to be on the screen. We've got a lot of text to read today. We're going we're gonna to take it through different chunks. So just follow along in your Bible, and, and um, we're going to work through this. So we're going to first 19, 19 through 22. And we see that, that Naomi is bitter in Bethlehem during the barley harvest. I like a little alliteration there for you. So, 19. So the two of them went out until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, and, and the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. When you say Mara, or when you read Mara, the, the corners of your lips should bend down. Mara means bitter. Do not call me for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite with her daughter-in-law, daughter <clears throat> who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. And this is where hope's on the horizon. The, the, the author, he's just good. Like, whoever, we don't know who wrote this book, but it transitions. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So Naomi now wanting to be identified as Mara, the artist formerly known as Prince, Naomi, Naomi, known as Mara, up to her hometown after 10 years. And like, I think we think about Bethlehem like it's this giant metropolis. It's not. Like, they, they, they know her. And they would have been excited to see their friend after a decade. And uh, they want to they know, know about Naomi. They want to know about is this Moabite with you? Where, where's your family? What's going on? Uh, this, last, uh, this last fall, I was able to go back to Kirbyville, my hometown, after it's been a full decade. And, um, you know, we were interested in it. We were excited to see each other. I, we, we, I did this. A lot of the people I went to high school with were there. They, were, they looked a lot older. I don't know what happened to them. <laughs> Still the same kid, right? Still 19. Um, but you know how these conversations go. Where are you now? What do you do? Is that your wife? How many kids do you have? 
That's, that's the natural, like, that's, that's the natural way these conversations go. And the town people said, is this Naomi? They, they grew up with her. They're, they're of her clan. They're of her tribe. They want to know about her. And the word stirred, um, you know, Hebrew doesn't have as many. They, they only have something like six or 8,000 words. It's not that many. Um, so their words have like packed with meaning, okay? And this, this word stirred, the whole town was talking about it. The, it was a commotion. Like when they were sitting down at the dinner table, they didn't have 24-7 news. They, they, Michael. So you talked about the new news of town. Hey, did you see uh, Naomi's back? She's got a Moabite with her. Like they, the town was stirred. They wanted to, to, they were talking about it. And so Naomi, she left 10 years younger and with, with children and a husband and known as the word Naomi means pleasant. She was known as pleasant. Now she's coming back widowed, childless, impoverished, and I would imagine haggard from a long journey. Like I said, Naomi means pleasant, and that's how those people remember her. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Because the Lord has dealt unkindly with me. Look at verse 20 in your Bible, and you're going to see the accusations she makes against God. She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. Mighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord, she's accusing the Lord, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? her mind, God has testified against her and has moved her from being pleasant to Mara, just a bitter shell of a person. I don't know, some of you can probably relate to that. We've all been in that place where we just felt very bitter. And we've been studying all throughout chapter one is Naomi the entire time, even through her suffering, even through her pain, she, because of her bitterness, has missed God's provision every step of the way. She missed Ruth as being one of God's greatest graces towards her as she's showing up Bethlehem during the time of the barley harvest. She, she, she's coming back to Bethlehem, so Bethlehem means house of bread, but she left with no food in the house of bread. She left because there was a famine. Now she's coming back, not three months after the barley harvest. She's coming back during the barley harvest. She's going to find that the law it has made a way for a widow to provide for themselves during that time for the year. So she's making accusations against God. She's, she's missing how God's working in her life. So this, I want to take a, a, a quick pause you know, we keep seeing, when you read the Old Testament, you see them retelling the story over and over and over of God delivering from Egypt and, and provide, you, you see that God will do something and then they'll set up stones. The idea is that when you come back to a situation like this one, you can look here, you can look there, faithfulness in that situation so that you can know that he'll carry you through the one that you find yourself in now. I would challenge you later today to sit down and think about those times in your life when you became very bitter. And uh, me and my wife, we've, we are walking through some sort of pain, and you can look back and count God's provision. Me and, me and my wife have been doing this this week. Uh, we've been talking about these things, and what we found was a, a sweet rebuke that was turned to praise. And, oh, you know, I don't know what you do on a Sunday. I know what I do. I go home and take a nap. As you go home and you take your nap, maybe, maybe in the silence before, just take a few minutes and think about, think about those times. And I don't know, when you were a kid, you probably weren't as weird as me, but I remember laying down in the grass and like looking at anthills and stuff, and the blades of grass just seemed ginormous because of the perspective, and the anthill just seemed huge. But when you take and stand up, just a little anthill. Great blades of grass aren't, aren't big at all. 
when you're walking through that stuff, it's really hard to see God's provision. But whenever you're able to take a step back and your perspective changes, whether it's by years, months, or days, it'll change your perspective and you'll be able to see how God has, has delivered you and how he provided every step. Today, at some point, do that and use that as an opportunity to worship God. So let's look back at our text. We're going to move on to chapter 2 now. 2 verse 1. So it just so happened that Ruth came upon Boaz's field. So now Naomi had a relative of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, uh, after him in whom sight, maybe, uh, whose sight I shall find favor with. She said to her, go. Go, my daughter. So she sat out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And I love this. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So, like I told you, this author here, he's good. He, he, so, just in case you missed it, Boaz was of the tribe of Elimelech. But in case you missed it, Bo Boaz is of the tribe of Elimelech. He, he tells you in verse 2, or, uh, verse 1, then he tells you again in verse 3. He's foreshadowing what's to come in the book. He, he's foreshadowing that Boaz is, is to be a, a main character, and it tells you that he's a worthy man. Now, this, this phrase, worthy man, is used a little bit in Scripture, and it can mean one of two things. One, that he's a warrior. Gideon is, is the same uh, Hebrew or Hebrew words used there, and there's no evidence that Boaz is a warrior. So, Or it could mean that he's a wealthy man who walks by the law. Wealthy man. Um, of the clan of Elimelech. Now, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, the only people who, we, we've talked about this already in the study, the only person who could redeem somebody, uh, somebody's land, and, 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 and a widow was somebody of that same family. So she was Elimelech. He, he, he was able to be the redeemer that we've talked about so much. So there's two things a redeemer needed to be. He needed to be willing and able. We've yet to see him be willing, but the text tells us right here that he's able. He's a worthy man. He's a man of stature. So in verse 2, mission from Naomi to, to, to go pick food. And the verb here, glean, means to pick up the scraps of what the harvesters have dropped. In God's law, God has compassion on the foreigner, the, the orphan, and the widow, and requiring the harvesters to leave the corners of their field. So when you get it all, and also that if you drop something, you just have to leave it for the orphan and the widow. I want, I want to read Deuteronomy 24, 19. But uh, I want you to know that Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, as well as Leviticus 23, they repeat this idea. Doesn't, the Bible's really a small book, and God was very specific in the things he told, and anything repeated was something of importance. And we know that God cares for the orphan, the widow, and the alien. So he's bringing emphasis to this. So 24, 19. When you reap your harvest in your fields, forget and, and you forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. So if your men are, are working and they pick the stuff up, take it out of the field, and they're, they're loaded up, they take it, and somebody looks back and goes, oh, we've bundled this whole big sheaf, hay bale circle. Well, they didn't have the hay baler, so they would stack it up and um, tie a rope around it, and it'd be a big sheaf. That's what a sheaf is. You got to leave it. That's now the orphan and the widow and the aliens. He goes on. Uh, 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 <clears throat> he says, And it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherness, the, the widow, uh, that the Lord your may, may bless you in all the works of your hand. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. And it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You see a theme here? When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip them afterwards, and it shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall 
were once slaves in the land of Egypt, therefore I command you to do this. And then in Leviticus is where he tells them to leave the corners of the field and, and repeats these exact same things. So Ruth, she, she gets to be in that field on multiple levels. She's a, a sojourner. That means a foreigner, an alien. And um, the, the law requires her, her as a widow and as a, as a foreigner part of the portion of food on that land. And it, the landowner is to show them kindness and grace in providing. Now, I'm not meaning to be political, but I want you, this is, a, this is a biblical understanding. The law did not require those men to go pick that food up for her and deliver it to her. She was to pick it up herself and carry it to her home. The Bible who do not work do not eat. The, the, the Bible is full of grace and full of mercy on the down and out, but it still requires something of the down and out. The, the problem is, as you'll remember, that so this is the time of the judges, and we've talked about this a lot at this point. In the book of the judges, was right in his own eyes, and that was not a good thing. As a matter of fact, they had forgotten the law. Many of them did not care about the law. And they were doing what was right to them and what was best for them, which was, looked like walking in sin. So Ruth, going as a foreigner to old, you got to understand, this was an act of courage. The book of Judges ends with uh, each man doing what was right in his own eyes and stealing a bunch of women. Like, that's kind of a black eye there, Israel. So, like, they're, they're, these people are not good people. They're not. And Ruth was going out on a limb, showing up to the guy, this guy's property, and it could have been really bad for her. So look at uh, verse 3 in chapter 2. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and, it, and she happened, she just happened, just luckily, come to the, the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Well, it just so happened that Ruth randomly, luckily, landed in Boaz's field, a worthy man of the uh, tribe of Elimelech, who just so happened to also be single, who one of the few men in Israel who could marry her and redeem the land, who just so happened to be wealthy enough to redeem the land, who just so happened, did I say single? He was single. Like, who just so happened to walk by the law because a man walking by the law in that day was not a common thing. So happened to be kind and gracious to the widow and to the sojourner following the law of God. Now, you can think that it's luck that Ruth just so happened to show up. Or you can submit to what the Bible teaches and see that as divine sovereignty. I believe this is the sovereign hand of God moving, even though it's neither one of their plan. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of the but the Lord establishes his step. Naomi and Elimelech chose to move to Moab. Ruth chose to marry uh, Moab's, uh, uh, Elimelech's son. God allowed both of them to pass away. They, Ruth chose to go to Bethlehem. Ruth picks a random field. She doesn't know these people. Like, so when, when we do uh, like a function like we did last night, most of you know all the family ties. Like there's like three families, everybody's related, and then there's everybody else, right? Um, and everybody else else who's from here, y'all even get it. Y'all know who's related. But me, I don't know who's related to who. I've been here for like 30 seconds. It, there's no indication that Naomi sent her there. Like, she just, she was just hoping for the best. God, God ordains all things. And in ordaining these things, he, he's choosing our steps to bring about his purposes. We assume God's silence in our 
that means that he doesn't care. And this is one of the challenges, especially when you're, you, you need to decide this before you go through suffering. But suffering also brings doubt. You need to decide if, if, if God is indifferent, incompetent, or impotent, and he's not, he's in control. Through his silence, God is still sovereign over your life. And that promise in Romans 8, 28, that he's going to work all things out for your good, sometimes your good is your suffering and the suffering of those you love. Like, I'm saying it, 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 it but it's just true. God loves you more than you love you. The Bible is clear. God loves your family more than he loves, uh, more than you love your family. And God allows us to go to bring about his kingdom purposes. I, I, I found this passage this week. I was listening to a book. It's from the psalm. I, I don't know the psalm off the top of my head. But it talks about God bottling our tears. He, our pain is not wasted. Our pain is not forgotten. Our prayers are not wasted. Our prayers are not forgotten. There's nothing that he wastes in our suffering, even if it means that we find, the, we find out why on the other side of eternity. God cares about you more than you care about yourself. Ruth catches Boaz's eye. Look at verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord, be, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers said, answered, She's that, the young Moabite woman who came back me from the country of Moab. The way that he says this, this lets you know that this has been a to-do about town. They're talking about this. This is that one. Um, she, she, verse 7, she, she, said, she said, please, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves. After so she came and, and she continued from early morning until now, and, and except for a short rest. So in verse 5, Boaz calls up his foreman and he asks about this young, this young woman. And he says, Who's, whose young woman is this? That's a super weird way to ask that question, Boaz, by the way, but not going to judge. But um, what he's saying is, whose wife is this? Whose child is Who's Whose clan is she from? Who, who is this person? And um, Ruth had made a name for herself based on her character and her work ethic. You can tell by how the, 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 the foreman responds. He says, hey, this, this is that Moabite. It's clear who this person is. And he, uh, the, the, the story has been circulating. And um, so this is kind of his response. So she, she asked if she could, she could gather out of, out of the reapers and um, it just... Uh, after the reapers had finished and bought hard worker, she got out here early. She's, she's not taking any breaks. She's not even going and getting the easy stuff in the corners. She's picking from what's already been stepped on and trampled out. She, she's just working hard, man. And young men, as you are looking for a spouse, you need to look at this, this root some of these things away as, as what, what a godly Proverbs 31 looks like in, in real in real time. Ruth loves God. Ruth is, is willing to walk in faith even when it's scary. Like what she's doing is scary. Ruth faces adversity with boldness. Ruth is a hard worker. She's a hard worker. And Boaz learns that she's a, a, a worthy woman before he ever approaches her. Guys, a lot of you Y'all, y'all see somebody. You think they're pretty. They got a fun personality, whatever. And and you you enter into this relationship with, or you've ever seen if they're worthy. And then what happens is you get emotionally connected to them, and they're not in any way what a a biblical woman should look like. And as all the adults in the room can tell you, 
leads to a contemptuous life and, and more than likely a, a bad and failed relationship that you and them walk into sin together. I would encourage you to, to look at the life of Ruth as you're considering what, what a woman should be. So let's, that's just a little side note. Let's, let's look at Boaz again. Boaz gives her an undeserved protection. Then, then Boaz said to Ruth, Now, listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that, that go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And, and when you are thirsty, go to the vessel and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and afford by the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So, if this is a Hallmark movie, guys, don't act like you haven't watched them because your wives are watching them. That time in the, like the, the whole chapter one, you got that soft violin playing, everybody's heads down, life's miserable. But, as Boaz approaches and speaks to her, that's when that, 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 that music's building. And, 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 and you know something's about to change. And for, for watch those, I've been told that this character in all Hallmark movies is a lumbersexual. That's a, that's a new word for me. You know, the guy that comes up with, he's in, always in plaid. Like, you own a farm and you're a doctor? Um, you know, little scruffy that's this moment everything changes so Boaz goes from his conversation with with his workers over to Ruth and could you imagine how intimidating uh, this would be for her her mind because she does not know he's a good guy why is he coming over here he looks important what what does he want from me does does he want to talk to me oh no he's about to talk to me like, yes, the Israelites were supposed to provide for the widow, for the orphan, and for the alien, but Ruth 1.1, this is... And often, these men were revoking the right of the widow. Maybe, maybe she's going to get kicked out. As, 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 he, as Boaz approaches her, all she can hope for is a merciful man. Boaz, he's so kind and he's so gentle. He alleviates all of her fears and he says, daughter. She's a Moabite, but he knows the relation to Elimelech. And he, he's, he's responding to her with a familial greeting, letting her know that he's choosing to, to treat her with kindness. Boaz Boaz, we're about to see, gives her an unearned honor, unmerited honor. Another Bible word for that is grace. His first statement quells any have, and he tells her in verse 8, don't go anywhere, stay close to, to my women, stay close to my men, and you're going to be protected. You're going to be provided for. He's offering her protection and provision. You know, the two, the, the two things a widowed alien woman in the ancient Near East needs the protection and provision, and this man is offering it to her, though she doesn't deserve it from him. In this book, like I told you earlier, that Boaz is this is to represent a Christ figure. And doesn't God give us an unearned honor? Boaz promise her, promises her more unearned protection. Boaz, he understands that the, the, the times are evil and he understands man's heart and he, he knows the culture around him and he says, don't go anywhere else. My men will protect you. I've told them 
And he goes on and he tells her not to, uh, to, to he tells them to, to drink from their water pots. Like that's something we just skim past. But think about this. So they believe that the main well was at the gates of Bethlehem that, that they were using at this time. So if you're going to go work for the she was doing, there wasn't a, there, there wasn't a water faucet, there wasn't a water hose out in um, Boaz's field. So you had to go to the gate, you had to draw the water, you had to carry, I mean, they, they don't have any Nalgene bottles or any fanny packs, like you're carrying that pot of water back with you to however far that field is, and then after you've worked for the morning, you have to start working. Boaz says, hey, you're done with that. And it's a, it's, she gets to drink from what it says specifically what they've drawn. And the cultural practice from the day is the women, the men, sorry, y'all got, y'all got the short end on that one. And if you're a foreigner, you drew, and you showed up to the well, you drew for everyone else. So now she doesn't have to go draw for everyone else. These, these men have drawn the water for her. That, can, she doesn't have day after working in the field all day, have to carry her pot and carry what she's picked back to her house. All she's got to do is carry what she's picked back to the house. That's an undeserved honor that, that Boaz has given her. He saved her so much effort and so much time. And Jesus gives us so many undeserved honors. Think about being able to drink from his living water. Just like, just like in, in John 4, we can't dip from that stream we can't, we can't, in our own effort, bring up living water. There's not enough religious actions. There's not enough good works. There's, there's nothing we can do to drink this water. Jesus drew it for us. God became man and dwelt among us, lived for 30 years and died on a cross and rose from the grave. He drew living water for us if we would enter in by faith. Boaz Ordinary kindness gives dignity and lifts this woman up from this destitute and desperate situation. Jesus Christ, our King, in his extraordinary kindness, gives us dignity when we don't deserve it and lifts us from our desperate and destitute situation. Boaz dignified this foreign woman as treating her. A regular Jewish woman had to go pull, uh, uh, dip her own pot. He's treating her like a significant person with more respect even than her, his own workers. And she's overwhelmed. She falls on the ground. It's a sign of respect and something you would give to a king or a dignitary because might, he might as well have been to her because this was now her hope of survival. And Boaz tells her that he's aware of her situation and... and um, to Naomi, his, his family member. And he ends the conversation with this statement. And if you're an underliner, this is like one of the, the top two most famous verses from the book. So if you're an underliner, verse 12 is it. And we're going to see that God gives her an unearned provision. He says, speaking as a prophet in my mind, the Lord repay you for what you've done. And 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 a full reward be given to you by the law, the God of Israel, under whom, whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz is treating this woman, this foreign woman, this woman who has no claim to the promise, as a co-heir to the promise because she entered in by faith. And he's heard about what she's done and how she's declared fidelity to Yahweh God. That she will receive her full reward of the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings she's chosen to take refuge. So I spent a lot of time with this, and, and I'm going to tell you, I went out on a limb. Normally, if I don't see any other commentators talking about it, I don't, don't see it any other way. Most commentators, they take you to the Psalms, and they explain it from the psalm where it's talking about being under the wing of the Almighty and being protected. And, but Boaz doesn't have any of that imagery yet. Boaz, is, this is way before the psalm. 
the, the image, the biblical image, like, so their world revolves around the tabernacle. And the biblical image of refuge under the wings is, is, is the, the mercy seat. So let, let me explain. Let me explain. So the context of refuge under the wing, it happens at, um, in the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement. So in the tabernacle, there's this place called the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies, that's where God's, you've heard this word Shekinah, that's where God's Shekinah glory rested. That's where God dwelt on earth. And, and the, there is the Ark of the Covenant, and that's actually the, the, the place where, where, where he dwelt. And it's this little box. And the Ark of the Covenant had a couple of things in it. So it's a box, it's a golden box. And um, in the inside of the box, there's uh, Moses' staff. So it's at least long enough for Moses' staff. It had the, the Ten Commandments, not the first set, because Moses broke those, the second set. And um, could you imagine that conversation, by the way? Like, hey, God, uh, remember those things you wrote with your finger? I need another set. Um, it's got the Ten Commandments, and then it's got some manna. And then, so that's what's act physically in the box. And then on top of the box, there's like this lip, and it's called the mercy seat. And um, when you're thinking about the Ark of the Covenant, imagine the Ark of the Covenant like a pair of glasses, okay? And when God would take and look at the people, the lens of the law. And when God sees people through the lens of the law, what happens to us? We are guilty. We deserve punishment. But there is where refuge is found because once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would come in and he would offer sacrifice and pour the blood over the So when God would see his people, he would not see them through uh, the condemnation of the law, but he would see them covered by the blood. And then on top of that, there's two cherubim. And the two cherubim, they have wings that, that reach out like this in both directions in the middle. And under the wings of these cherubim is where Israel found their reward. And under the wings of these cherubim is where they took refuge from their sin. That's what I believe this is talking about. I believe that this is talking about atonement. And the Jesus Christ goes into the Holy of Holies in the heavenly places. He goes into God's throne room, and in God's throne room, we're told that the, the tabernacle is just an earthly representation, just a shadow of what's in the actual throne room of God. We see in the book of Hebrews, Jesus coming in as the great high priest, and not just as the great high priest, as the sacrifice, and pouring his blood on that altar. And under those wings, under the wings of God, is we're in refuge from being lawbreakers. Under these wings on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would place the blood of the sacrifice under the, on the mercy seat. Under these wings the, is where the, of the mercy seat is where Israel took refuge from their sin. Under these wings, God went and gave them forgiveness by faith and under these wings is where Israel found their faith found reward for their faith in this life and in the next and I think that's what Boaz is talking about here under wings is where he's where she will find refuge and the full reward of the people of Israel if you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know that you too can take refuge under the wings of God because of the work that Jesus, great high priest and great sacrifice, has done on your behalf. And just like Ruth, Ruth didn't do anything to deserve this. She just put her faith in Yahweh God. If you too put your faith in Yahweh God, you will find forgiveness. But let's, let's look at our last passage right here. Boaz outgives and at mealtime Boaz said to her come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine so she sat beside the reapers and, she, and they passed the roasted grain to her and she ate until she was satisfied and she had leftovers and when she rose to glean Boaz instructed his young man saying let her glean even though and do not reproach her also 
Um, also, pull out some, some for bundles for her and leave it on the ground for her to glean and don't rebuke. So don't rebuke her. So she, she gleaned in the field until evening. And then when she gleaned, it was about an ephah of barley. So later he's sitting down with his men. He's prepared this, this meal for them, and he invites her to this meal that, that she doesn't deserve and was not prepared for her. Again, have I mentioned that this is a Christ-like figure? <laughs> to the table of the Lord. And this is, she, she eats until she's filled and she has some left over. Like, could, could you imagine the last time she ate until she was filled? She ate till she was filled and had some left over. And she couldn't have hoped for a hot meal. She couldn't have hoped for, for Boaz to invite her. There's nothing, there's nothing Ruth could have assumed romance from, Bo, from Boaz because the social barriers were too great. We should not assume the love of God. You got to understand the social barriers. God is God. God is perfect. God is infinite. God is holy. God is all-powerful. But God in his loving kindness has chosen to love us and to come to us, something we don't deserve. It's more than we could ever hope for. He invites us to eat his bread and drink his wine. He he invites us to, to drink and eat until we're totally satisfied, till there's nothing left. To those who eat the bread of his body and drink the, blood of his, uh, the wine of his blood, they will not taste from the bowl of the wrath of God. And just another image in, in, in Revelation, or Revelation 18, we're invited to the marriage supper. We don't deserve to be in hell. Like, we talk about being saved as not having to go to hell. God's inviting us to his banquet and we get to party with him. So much more than we could ever hope for or ask for. It goes on to tell, tell us that instead of making her work real hard, this is where I think Boaz now has an eye for Ruth. He's like, all right, guys, what I want you to do, y'all have already picked this stuff. From what you've already picked, pull out a nice little pile and just stack it up for her so that she can come get that. Like, now, now I'm just going to read into a little subtext. I think there's something going on with Boaz at this point. So she's, in, she's not having to work harder. And he gives her way, way, way more than she deserves. And she's supposed to only, basically you come back from the widows are just getting enough to survive on. She comes back with an ephah of, of barley. So I looked that up and somebody a lot smarter than me told me that's about a 50 pound sack. So, and it's not even the, the long stalks. It, it's very specific and lets us know that it's already the stuff that's been beaten out. So it's, it's the product. It's ready to go to market. It's ready to be saved. It's ready for not just surviving, she's going to be able to make a living. An ephah of barley. Like Ruth in Christ, we're invited to a position we don't deserve. We're given food and drink that we don't deserve. We're given mercy that we've done nothing to earn. Quantity that it's innumerable and immeasurable. God gives us so much more than we can carry. It, just that picture of Ruth carrying a, back that 50-pound sack. Like the other day, my, my wife, we went to Costco, or she went to Costco without me, and it was time to get that 50-pound sack of dog food. Crushed her. I mean, she's a little lady. These, these are little people. She's coming, she's carrying it. The, the grace of Boaz is crushing. The grace of God Almighty to, to us is crushing because he just outgives. When we sin, he forgiveness. When we need, he gives more. He just pours out blessing upon blessing upon blessing to the point where it's innumerable and immeasurable. There's more grace in Christ than sin in us. And you can read through this passage just like we can walk through a life and miss all the blessings. But when we stop and we take note, we see how good God's love is for us because Boaz is not meant to be this moralistic character that I am to emulate, even though that would be great if I did. It's to point us to Jesus Christ. And you can see God 
in this book, weaving all these events and all this pain together to work out his purpose. I mean, Ruth didn't want to be a widow. Naomi didn't want to be a widow. As as an older man, you better believe, I I don't assume that he wanted to be a, a, a bachelor. But God used all these things to work about his purpose. And the end of Ruth, Ruth is the mother, mother of Obed. And Obed is the mother of Jesse. Uh, Obed is the father of Jesse. And Jesse is the father of David. And David was the king. This woman who had no right to be in the line of the king has been grafted in just like we were grafted into the love of Christ. We're, we're, we're pagans. We're, not, we're, we're Gentiles. We don't deserve this. In anyway. And, and King David was given a promise that there would be one who would reign on his throne of his line, and that's King Jesus. They didn't see all these things. They didn't have this perspective. They just had a walk in faithfulness. And on the other side, you can see God working all. So God's calling you to trust him today, to trust him with your pain, knowing that he loves you, he hears you, and he cares about you. Your pain is not random. It didn't just so happen. And the, the reason why our pain is, and our suffering is endurable, it's because we're indifferent. We know that God is not incompetent. We know that God is not impudent. But we know that God is in control, all-powerful, all-loving, and all-caring. So you can trust God knowing that he will not waste one ounce of your suffering. We're going to go into a time of prayer. And this is what I think God to do this morning. It's, he's calling you to trust him somewhere, whether it's your family, your job, your health, your pain. And we're so tempted to make these things idols. Just give that, give that idol, give that anxiety. I know that you love my family more than I do. I know that you love me more than I do. I know that you know where I am and I can trust you in this. And if you don't know Jesus today, I'm going to be right here. I'd love to have that conversation with you. Let's pray.